welcome to Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here today. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, follow us on social media or visit our website, gatewayhome.com. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John 15. You can go to the Uversion app. You can click events, and uh, we should pop up right there, and you can see all of the notes. We'll be hanging out in John 15 for most of the day. But I want to say we've been in this I Am series. This is the fourth week. If you have missed the rest of them, you can go to YouTube. You can watch them. But we've talked about the I Am statements that Jesus made about who he was. So many times we can focus on who, what Jesus did, but Jesus is making these statements saying, here's who I am. And when we understand who he is, it can transform us and can reframe and reshape our lives. So we've been focusing on those. Uh, we focus on I am the bread of life, that he is the good shepherd, and that he is the door and the way to salvation. We have a few more weeks and we'll finish it up on Easter. But today the message is titled, I am the vine. I am the vine. And I'm going to give a little context to this. Jesus is about 24 hours or so away from being crucified, from giving his life. And he's with his disciples and he wants to have a conversation with them. This is an incredible passage, what he's saying. But if you read even the last few hours that he's with them and the conversations he has with his disciples, it, it really will put in perspective the weight that he was carrying, uh, the burden that he was carrying, and that what he knew that he was about to step into. But John 15, starting in verse 1, it says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me does, that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. So it's important because, once again, what he's about to walk into, he's like, I want your, my joy to remain in you, and I want your joy to remain full. But there's more context to this passage. Whenever Jesus mentions the true vine, that would have been loaded imagery. It would have told the Israelites at that time that he was speaking to that because throughout the Old Testament, there were always talks about a grapevine. The prophet Isaiah wrote about a grapevine in Isaiah 5 that we're going to go and look at a little bit later. But there were conversations about a vine and Israel being that vine. But here was the problem. There was always a negative connotation because it brought forth judgment because they were a vine that could not produce fruit. They were not faithful. It was a sign of their failures. It was a sign of their mess-ups. And it was actually a sign of their shortcomings. So whenever they heard talk about the vine, they wrestled with it 
a lot, but Jesus shows up in this moment and he tells them, I'm actually the true vine. I am the true vine and I'm here to do what you could not do. And I'm here to be what you should be, but you cannot be apart from me. So he's telling them, and it's very strong imagery, and I just want to give us context for that as we go through this, because he's saying what was impossible for you, I have come to make possible for you. So here I have three points today. The first one is this. The Father is the vine dresser. The Father is the vine dresser. But because he's the vine dresser, he expects us to bear fruit. I want you to think about this for a second. Let's say you went to a vineyard and you got the chance to talk with a a vine dresser. And he had thousands of acres on his vineyard and he had just gone through the process. He had planted, he had taken care of it. And you finally get to the point where you're you're talking with him about it, learning a little bit. And you say, hey, so what's the harvest going to be like? He said, harvest? I'm not expecting any harvest. You would think, one, you're a horrible vine dresser and probably a horrible businessman. Why? Because you don't do all that work, you don't give all that time so that you produce nothing on the other side. In the same way, he says here, my father is actually glorified that we bear fruit and not just bear fruit, but he says bear much fruit. That's his desire, that's his heart, that every single one of us who are followers of Christ would say, you are going to bear fruit. So here's what this means, that if you're a Christian and you abide in him, you will bear fruit. So the question is, how much fruit are we actually bearing? Are we bearing fruit that is worthy of the fact that we're connected to the Father? Because the fruit in our lives is a reflection of our genuine belief in who God says he is. So as the vine dresser, the Father is proactive in tending to the branches. So I'm going to talk about pruning for a second, but this past week, I probably spent a little bit too much time online searching about pruning, so I know a lot of worthless facts that if you go online, you can search for it too, and it's great. They're not going to help except part of it for this message, but the rest of it, I'm just going to pull up some random facts of my kids later about pruning, and they're going to love it. But pruning is a very intricate and delicate process. There's a why, there's a what, there's a when behind it, and there's a, there's a how to this process. But I want to say that pruning is a part of the process of growth and actually determines where growth happens. The vine dresser goes out there and is very meticulous and very pointed with where he cuts. And just so you know, you will be cut. Either you're going to be cut off or you'll be cut on. If you're cut on, there will be growth on the other side of this. But cutting is a part of the process. And it's hard for us because pruning many times can feel like punishment. But whenever God prunes us, he doesn't do it to punish us. He He actually does it to prepare us. He's preparing us for the next season of what he's calling us into so that we'll bear more fruit on the other side of it. But here's the hard part about pruning. Trees Trees don't have a choice to be pruned. We, on the other hand, have a choice whether we're going to allow God and stay in a place long enough for God to prune our lives, to remove the things that should not be there anymore so that it allows growth on the other side of it. But as a vine dresser, just know that pruning is very time consuming and it is actually very costly. Because pruning isn't just about the next year. And this is why we need to trust God. When God prunes things in our lives, he's not just thinking about one year from now. He may be thinking about 10 years from now. That if he prunes it today, there will be growth that happens every single year to where you're able to step in to that season that he has for every single one of us. So he is a vine dresser, and he is a good vine dresser. Here's the other thing. 
Until recently, there's now technology to help with the pruning. But pruning at this time would have been done by hand. So many people say, I want God's hand on my life. I want it to be tangible. I want it to be visible. Okay, pruning is evidence and is a sign that God's hand is on your life. Pruning is actually very personal. It should show us that the Father isn't distant. The Father is actually close enough that he is working in our lives to remove the lives, to remove the lies that we may believe, to remove the things that may have kept us bound for a very long time, to remove the deception, to remove pride, anger, whatever it is. He's meticulously coming up and cutting off those areas of our lives that we're able to walk in the fullness of what he has. Here's another thing about pruning. Pruning seems very excessive. If you would go and actually look at pruning, it looks like they just cut the whole thing down to a stump. It's like there's no way the excessive pruning will lead to explosive growth. But that's the way that it happens when it seems like there's excessive pruning in your life. That only means that God wants you to grow at a greater capacity for whatever he is calling you to. Another thing that was interesting about pruning is the win of pruning. Pruning always happens after the harvest. Many times in our lives, it happened with Elijah, it even happened with Jesus. There were defining moments in their lives where the harvest came in. It was a powerful victory that he had over the prophets of Baal. And the next thing you know, Elijah sent out into the wilderness. Jesus, when he was baptized, he came out of the water. The Holy Spirit came upon him in the form, like a dove. And then next thing you know, he's out into the wilderness. There was, a, there was a big moment, a defining moment. Yet next thing you know, they're out in the middle of nowhere. Many times in our lives, it can feel like that. It can feel like we're in that wilderness season where we're not experiencing even the harvest that we may have just seen, but you don't want growth after growth. There needs to be a period of rest in between and a period of pruning so that the next season where there's supposed to be a harvest, there will actually be the growth that is necessary for you to walk out what you're called to do. After the harvest is the best time to reshape the branches because he wants there to be balance in it because that's where the greatest growth will happen in our lives. John 15, 16 says this, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. So God chose us and appointed us to bear fruit. He actually did this, said this to us from the very beginning with Adam and Eve, and I'm going to walk through several different passages that shows God's involvement in wanting us to bear fruit and be fruitful. Genesis 1, he said, then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. After God started over and he had Noah and his family, here's what he says to him in Genesis 9, verse 1. He says, so God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill, fill the earth. When God made a covenant with Abraham, he said that he would make him exceedingly fruitful. Genesis 17, verse 6, I will make you, remember, look who's doing, who, who's making in this part. It's not Abraham, it's actually God. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. That goes the next step to his son Jacob. Whenever God changes his name, he changes all throughout the scripture, he changes your nature. And it says this in Genesis 35, 10 through 11, and God said to him, your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So we called his name Israel. Also, God said to him, I am God almighty. Be fruitful 
and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. All right, that was all Old Testament. Let me show you in the New Testament. When Paul is writing to the church of Colossae, here's what he writes in Colossians 1 verse 10. He said, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. Be fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So God wants us to be fruitful, and being fruitful actually pleases him. This is a desire for every single one of us. But the question is, why? Why does he want us to be fruitful? And here's why. Because God wants children. From the very beginning, he said, you will be my people and I will be your God. God wants children. He wants us to be fruitful. He wants more and more people coming into the kingdom of God as sons and daughters and in relationship with him. This is why he calls us as the vine dresser to bear fruit. But every single time he would do something, every time he would send someone, every time he would tell them to be fruitful, they all failed. Every single person. Then he sent prophets. Then he do kings and he sent priests. And every single time that failed, and Jesus, God finally said, you know what? I'm going to send my own son. And he's going to teach them to be fruitful. And as we're about to see, the way they can now be fruitful is simply to abide in him because they could not do it in their own power. In John 1 verse 12, it says this is really the central theme of John. He said, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. So now we simply have to believe in the sacrifice of his son so that we can become children of God. So the first thing is the father is the vine dresser. The second thing is this, Jesus is the vine. Jesus is the vine. Another way to say it is Jesus is the root. He's the root in the ground that the branches are connected to. Now, this word abide is a, a strange word. It's, it's not a word that we use very often. We don't go up to people and say, hey, how are you abiding? Hey, how are you doing? You know, I'm just, I'm just abiding. I'm just enjoying life. No, we don't use that word in that way. It's, a, it's not a word that we say very often. But here's what the word abiding means. To abide means to stay or remain in a place for a long period of time. It means to stay long enough to receive everything that you're needing to receive. But this is very counterintuitive to the way many of us think. For many of us, we're, we're go-getters. We want to go out there. We want to make things happen. We may use words like, hey, I'm, I'm hustling. I'm, I'm out there grinding. I'm, or we say this very common phrase, I'm busy. We wouldn't use the phrase, oh, I'm abiding, brother. <laughs> That's not how we talk. Here's what I learned, though, that abiding is important because abiding causes us to understand that our position is in his presence. That you're going to receive the most by taking the time to stay in his presence and the intimacy and the relationship will grow when abiding happens. This past week, actually two days ago, Friday, we got the chance to celebrate our youngest son's actual birthday, not his fake birthday that he chose for himself if you were here several weeks ago. We got the chance to celebrate his birthday, and it was a great time. We got him several different gifts, and it started out, we gave him a, a bike, a Spider-Man bike. He loved it. He would ride it and throw out webs that he was attacking the enemy. It was a great thing. But we had some more gifts for him. So we said, hey, you need to put your bike up and come inside. And he went there, and he grabbed uh, some more gifts. We had them all laid out in front of him, and he began opening them. Obviously, he grabbed one gift and opened it up and then started playing with it immediately. I had to call him back. And say, hey, we have some more gifts for you. 
And then he'd open the next one. All the brothers and sisters would want to play with it. So they'd go and they'd run off and, hey, we have to call him back once again. And I don't fault him because he's four years old. That's what four-year-olds do. But and sometimes in the same way, he would not have been able to receive all the gifts that we had for him had he not taken the time to stay in the same place. If we don't take the time to abide in God's presence, we won't receive everything that God has for us. See, the way that we receive it is by abiding in him. This is the way that we bear fruit. This is the way that we experience life abundantly, as he, as he said and we learned and talked about within the last several weeks. Because here's a phrase that he uses. And a phrase that many times we struggle with, I know I've struggled with because I'm like, I can do some things. But here's what he says. Without me, you can do nothing. The air that you breathe, what you, the life you experience, without me, you could do nothing. And here's what he's saying. You can't do anything of eternal and significant value without me in your life. That actually comes from abiding and being in my presence and in relationship with me. But sometimes we don't make decisions based off our abiding. There's actually four different motivations. They all start with the letter C because I'm a preacher. There's four main motivations when it comes to us making decisions. And then I'm going to give us a fifth one. The first one is circumstances. It's a little bit reactive. Circumstances happen in your life and then you make a decision off the back of that to move forward in whatever way that you feel like you're supposed to move forward in. The second one is our conveniences. It's convenient to make a decision to move a certain way. It's easy for us to choose this way, so we make the decision, we move forward. The, the third one is we make it by convictions, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, just depends on what your convictions are based on. And then the fourth one are criticisms. Uh, whenever people are younger, criticism, peer pressure. I would like to say that it changes when we get older, but many times it doesn't. But here's the problem with those. The pr- there is no promise of bearing fruit with those. If we make decisions based on that, there is no promise that we will bear fruit on the other side of it. The only promise is another C, is connection. That's where we are in sync with him and sync with his desires, which is why we receive what we pray for because we've been abiding in him and we know his heart. Whenever we know his heart and then we pray, it happens on this earth. It's not just come up with anything and pray that and that's what will happen. God is not a magician and he's not a genie. You don't just pull some lever and then he provides for you. That's not the way it works. He wants to be in relationship with every single one of us. But if the key here is if we get disconnected, it's just simply to confess and reconnect again. With kids, at least I've experienced it with my kids, whenever they offend, they tend to avoid. It's the same way in our lives. There's many times where we offend God that we try to avoid God instead of actually coming to him and reconnecting so that we're able to walk and abide in his presence. God is, there should be no reason that we avoid God. God is a loving God. He cares for us. He's given his life for us. There's nothing that can keep us from his love. But many times that's in our nature whenever we offend God. But here's the key. The more that we abide in God, the more that we love him. The more that we abide, the more close connection we have because there's a trap that we can fall into when it comes to obedience. We think that if we obey God, then our love for God will grow. The only problem with that is it begins to trap you and it begins to ensnare you because it's based on your own righteousness. The other side is, hey, the more I love God, the more I abide with him, the more I spend time with him, the more I want to obey him. The more I want to serve him. 
It's a totally different mindset that actually frees you from the burden of doing it yourself because here's the truth about our own righteousness. Our best righteousness is based on comparison that we're better than others. The best righteousness that humans can come up with on their own is by looking at other people. This is why there's a story in the scriptures that says there was a man that went to pray that was a, re a religious leader. And here's what he, he prayed. He said, thank God I'm not like this sinner over here. My righteousness is based on the fact that I haven't done as bad as that person over here. Whereas the sinner, on the other hand, cried out for mercy. See, we aren't righteous in and of ourselves. Our righteousness comes from God. And the more that we love him, the easier it will be for us to obey him. So we have to be intentional to do things that stir our affection up for God and do less of what robs us of our affection for God. Some of us may be at the place where music, whenever we're listening to music, that stirs our affection for God. So for some of us, it may be going out in nature. You just see God's creation and it causes you to stir up your affection for him so that you love him more so on the other side you obey. Some of us, football stirs our affection up for God. There's nothing wrong with that unless you're a Cowboys fan in the last 20 years like I am. It could be a struggling and could actually rob us from our affection for God because of our response to them not winning, but this year will be the year that they'll win, and if it's not this year, it'll be the following year. So it'll be great. Say that every year. But here's a question I've asked myself and a question I want to submit to you, is that is there anything in our lives that we've entertained that would rob us of the affection in our heart for God? Is there anything that amuses us that would take us from being in relationship with him, from loving him so that we're able to abide in him in a greater way. Because we have the opportunity to be able to remove that so that we can walk and abide in a closer way with him. So that's the second thing. Jesus is divine. And here's the third one. We are the branches. We are the branches. So Jesus said in this passage that the branch cannot produce fruit on their own. So we aren't fruit producers. So what are we? This word bear means to carry. So we don't produce fruit, but we carry fruit. But the fruit is simply an indication of the root. So whenever, if we were to look at the fruit of our lives or when other people look at the fruit of our lives, does it indicate that we're in relationship with Jesus? In Isaiah 5 is a passage called the Song of the Vineyard. Isaiah writes it, verse 1 through 7, and he says some things that are very interesting. He says, now I will sing for the one I love, a song about his vineyard. He's talking about God. My beloved had a vineyard on a rich and fertile hill. He plowed the land, cleared its stones, and planted it with the best vines. In the middle, he built a watchtower and carved a winepress in the nearby rocks. Then he waited for a harvest of sweet grapes, but the grapes that grew were bitter. Now you people of Jerusalem and Judah, you judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard that I have not already done? When I expected sweet grapes, why did my vineyard give me bitter grapes? Now let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will tear down its hedges and let it be destroyed. I will break down its walls and let the animals trample it. I will make it a wild place where the vines are not pruned and the ground is not hoed. By the way, if God is not pruning your life, it will become a wild place. It will become a place of chaos that entangles you. A place overgrown with briars and thorns. I will command the clouds to drop no rain on it. The nation of Israel is the vineyard of the Lord of heaven's armies. The people of Judah are his pleasant garden. He expected a crop of justice, but instead he found oppression. 
He expected to find righteousness, but instead heard the cries of violence. So this story, though this song, is a story about a vineyard. It's a different story. Many of us may not have read this passage, but he's saying this vineyard had all of the advantages. It was actually stewarded and owned by a, a loving vine dresser. It was taken care of. Everything was dug properly. Every hedge, every protect, level of protection they would need. There was a watchtower right in the middle. It was placed in the right soil for it to grow. So it's in the right environment, which is very important whenever you're planting and wanting to receive a harvest. It had all the advantages that you could ever think of, and it produced fruit. The only problem is whenever he expected it to be good, sweet fruit, it was bitter fruit. It was fruit that would have been a sign that no one had taken care of it at all and it had simply grown on his own. He's like, I've done everything that I could do to give it the advantage to grow sweet fruit, but it hasn't. So why is that? So how does this apply to us? Because you may be saying, okay, what does that have to do with me? Okay. Jesus said himself that he's actually given us an advantage. He said, when Jesus was on this earth, he's talking to his disciples, he said, it is to your advantage that I go away so that I can send the help of the Holy Spirit who will lead you and guide you into all truth. Think about that for a second. If I were one of the disciples at the time, I would have been like, how is it better for you to leave? Jesus is God in the flesh. How would it be better that you would leave and send a helper? So he's given us every advantage. It's the Holy Spirit that is in this earth that is working. He's the one who empowers us. He's the one who strengthens us. If you don't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, we're going to talk about that in a few weeks, but you need to have a relationship because he's the one who's working on this earth, and he was sent by Jesus, and he said, I've given you an advantage. But the Father could also say, I've done everything I know to do. I've done everything I could do. I even sent my son to die on the cross so that we can be in relationship with each other. You have an advantage. The question is, are we producing good fruit or are we producing bitter fruit? Here's the reason why we produce bitter fruit. It's because even though we have been born again, if we're a believer in Jesus Christ and we're a follower of him, there's still this thing called the flesh. And we all have the flesh, if we're honest with ourselves. The flesh that wants to respond in an ungodly way to scenarios that arise to... Sometimes our kids, sometimes our spouse, in relationships, aims for pleasure rather than ultimately pleasing God. We all have this thing called the the flesh, and this is what actually battles with the spirit, and this is what prohibits the growth of binds. So many times we blame things on Satan and the devil whenever it's actually our flesh, our desires that lead us down this path. Yes, Satan is coming against you, but you have your flesh with you still. And in Galatians 5 talks about this, the flesh battles with the spirit and the spirit battles with the flesh. This is what Romans 7 talks about with Paul and he's saying, there's things that I want to do, but I don't do them. And then the things that I don't want to do, those are the things I end up doing. He basically says, I'm miserable. There's no way out. The situation is hopeless. But he says, thanks be to God that he sent his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, so that we could have the victory. But the picture is of us dragging a corpse around that's dead that we can't be delivered from and we're struggling with and the only way that we get free is by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why we have the fruit of the Spirit that's labeled here. We have this so that we can walk in the new life that he's given to us because the solution to the flesh is not the law. 
If you think you're going to get free from the flesh by the law, you have another thing coming because the law will enlighten your conscience, but it doesn't have the ability to produce the holiness that God wants you to have. It does not have the ability to produce life that ultimately comes from Jesus. So it's not going to come from your doing more. It's ultimately going to come by surrendering, surrendering your life and trusting him and then submitting your life to the power of the Holy Spirit because he didn't just say, I'm going to abide with you. He actually said, I'm going to abide in you. And this is a totally different because you, you don't go, if something's with you, you can lose it. But if something's in you like your heart, if your heart comes out, we have a major problem. Why? Because it's in you, you carry it wherever you go. And we in the same way should carry the Holy Spirit wherever we go to be able to listen to him, to allow him to speak to us and carry out the fruit that he's called for us to produce in this earth. So the solution to the flesh is actually the Holy Spirit because he's the one who ultimately gives us life. And he has a limitless, limitless supply of fruit. Whenever I was in college, we learned about supply and demand in economics class. It's a very common principle. You want the supply and demand to be very close, otherwise it, it gets imbalanced. Here's the reality for every single one of us, that we have a limited supply of fruit to meet the demand of what we're going to face in life. Think about this. There's times where we demand love, but we don't have the supply to give love. But guess who has an infinite and limitless supply? The Holy Spirit does. Whenever we demand having joy in our lives because we're overwhelmed and there's anxiety and there's pain and we're not understanding, the Holy Spirit can meet us in that place because he has a limitless supply of joy. Whenever we need patience, and who doesn't need patience? Patience is a power dynamic at play. It gives the idea that there's someone that you're stronger than that you're taking the time to slow down for. And this is the same way that God is with us. He said he's very patient with us, slow to anger. It means long of nostrils, long suffering. Most of us don't want it, long suffering, but that's what patience is. But we have a limited supply of it, but we have a demand of it. But God, and the, through the Holy Spirit, has a limitless supply. If we need self-control, which seems like an oxymoron, because if it's like if self-control, then why does the Holy Spirit need to be the one to give it? But we don't even have the level of self-control that the Holy Spirit can give us. We have a demand for it, but he has a limitless supply. Here's what I'm telling you. You cannot do it on your own. Without him, you can do no thing. But with him, you can do everything. Here's where it says, Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. It's fruit, by the way, not fruits. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. So the Holy Spirit is the one who produces it in our lives. Here's what this means. Is that fruit isn't achieved by working, it's received by abiding. This is how we receive and this is how we produce fruit in our lives because the desire to overcome the flesh is not enough to win the battle. Many of us have had a desire to overcome, but we've been stuck in a lie. We've been stuck in deception. That's not enough to free us. We actually need the Holy Spirit to come in because he is stronger than anything that would entangle us. He's stronger than anything that would keep us in bondage, and he's the one who's able to bring us to life and set us free. But here's the reason why there's, nothing, there's no law against this, because the law is actually meant to produce this. The law wouldn't be necessary if there was character to produce fruit. 
So here's what he's saying. If you don't want to be under the law, come to the life-giving side of the Holy Spirit. This is what he has for every single one of us. Because we're not called to cast out the flesh, we're called to crucify it. And once we crucify the flesh every single day, we can walk in the newness and the life that the Holy Spirit has for every single one of us. Here's what I've learned as we're talking about abiding. Have you ever had a close friend? And many times we can even see this in our kids. Whenever they come back with something, they say something, they do something that seems out of character. I ask the question, who have you been hanging around? When I see a certain attitude or they say a certain phrase like, wait one second, that's, that's not normal. Here's why. Because whenever you are around someone, you receive who they are and they share themselves with you. There's a relationship that happens. They actually begin to shape you, mold you, change your character. Change the way you think. This is why the Bible talks about bad company corrupts good morals. It's typically not you picking them up. It's them bringing you down. But whenever we are abiding with Jesus, whenever we're in relationship with the Holy Spirit, he's producing in us and he's sharing with us who he is. But we have to come to the place every single day where we're taking the time to abide, to stay in one place long enough. Because sometimes five minutes is enough, but sometimes that's not enough. Sometimes it takes 15, sometimes it takes 30, sometimes it takes an hour, sometimes it's a retreat. I don't know what it is that God is saying to you. But he wants to share with you who he is. The question is, are we going to take the time and stay long enough to receive it so that we can be people that bear much fruit? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. We ask this question at the end of every single service, and it's, what is the Holy Spirit saying to me through this message? Some of us may be in that pruning season. We've lost some things. We don't necessarily understand why we're in that place where we have to trust God. We're navigating a season that we never thought we'd be in, but we feel like there could be this sense of punishment coming around us. And you need the clarity and you need the peace to know that God is with you and he's preparing you for something greater. Some of us, God's telling us, hey, you need to learn to abide. Don't be in such a rush. Slow down a little bit. I have some things that I would love to give you, but it's going to take a little bit more time than you may be used to. Some of us may be trying to produce something that we're only called to carry, that we're only called to receive. You may need to come to that place of abiding. In a moment here, I'm going to pray and there'll be team, a prayer team down front who would love to have the opportunity to pray with you. You don't need to be a, a member of Gateway to come down and receive prayer. And you should never be embarrassed to receive prayer. I received prayer even before I came out here. God wants to speak with you. And it's important that we don't leave here with the same burdens that we came out with. And we'll stay up here as long as we need to stay up here. So that we have the opportunity to pray with you and join our faith with you. But God wants to speak to every single one of us. So Father, right now, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you are divine dresser. And because of that, we can produce much fruit even in those pruning moments we thank you that you're preparing us for something greater I pray that as your people we would yield to that I pray that you would speak to us very clearly that you would show us your love that you would show us your grace that we would experience that not to be made right with the law but to be made right 
with you by what Jesus has done. And Father, we thank you that you've given us your spirit to abide in us. Let us go with that strength today, not having to do it on our own, but knowing that you love us, you care for us, and you've done everything that you need to do so that we can have life. May we just receive that today. And I thank you for it right now. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Would you stand to your feet with me? joining us today. If you live in the Houston area or are in town for a visit, we would like to invite you to join us for a service. For service times and location or more information about Gateway Church, follow us on social media or visit our website gatewayhome.com. Have a blessed week.